good, perfect, beautiful morning from probably the absolute most beautiful situation I have ever uh, broadcasted, podcasted, anything from. This might be the most beautiful place I've ever been at 6 o'clock in the morning before in my life. It's, uh, It's sunrise, and I am sitting on a boat in the middle of Chautauqua Lake, and the water is calm. It's me, a couple of fishermen, some seagulls. That's all. That's everything that's going on out here right now. Uh, we, we rented a boat for the weekend. This is actually, this is a sore weekend, but it's turning out great. But it was supposed to be family vacation weekend. This is a weekend that I've gone out of town for the last probably 12, 13 years or so, the final weekend in July to be with my uh, family, my mom's side of the family. We used to always go down to a place called Raystown Lake a few years ago. For whatever reason, we switched that over to Chautauqua Lake. Raystown Lake was, we called it Raystown Lake. I think it's called Lake Raystown. It's in, uh, oh, no, I don't remember the name of the town in Pennsylvania, but it's maybe 20, 30 minutes south of State College where Penn State is. Um, then we start coming to Chautauqua Lake. I think this is only our third year in Chautauqua Lake, but a couple of weeks ago when Cuomo mandated that Ohioans are no longer welcome in New York State, it turned out that uh, everyone had to cancel because a, a lot of my family obviously is from Ohio. So uh, my wife and uh, child and I, we were like, well, we should still go, you know, because we had been talking about how we just kind of needed a little getaway because um, I've been relatively nonstop with the new business, I wake up. The one thing I, I will say I have managed to do with the new business is I don't get there super early. Uh, originally, I did. For the first month, I was getting in anywhere from 4.30 to 5.30 in the morning. But but honestly, recently, uh, that's turned into – sorry, I, I got to look around and still pay attention because I just – I killed the engine and now I'm just floating. I got to make sure I don't float off too far into any certain direction. Um, anyway, the, no, the um, – yeah, I'm gonna fire it up actually and move into the move back into the middle of the lake here. Um, yeah, so at first I was waking up kind of early, and that was that was fine and it was good. I think it was good for the guys to see that I was you know an early riser. Little did they know, four thirty, five thirty in the morning for me was actually sleeping in. <laughs> after what I did in radio for years. But still, now that's the one thing I would say I've managed to carve out for myself is mornings. I usually am not in until, or I will say I haven't started working until at the like at the earliest, the absolute earliest is 7 a.m. But a lot of mornings, it's not until 8 or 8.30. And that's been a nice little balance because, you know, with a two-year-old, Leo's being two, he'll be two November 1st, not quite two yet, but with... With a child Leo's age, I should say, uh, he's up early. He's up 5.30, 6. 6.30 is a good day for Leo as far as sleeping in goes. So, you know, for me to be around first thing in the morning, it's been a big deal for my wife. She's very happy that I'm around, and I'm very happy that I'm around. And it's just in general, it's been nice. It's been a win that I haven't had to wake up, roll out of bed, and be out of the house before they're even out of bed. Other than that, it's been pretty much just work. You know, I make it home for dinner as often as I can. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. So long story short, we decided, hey, we 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 absolutely should do a weekend at the lake before the end of the summer. And we were going to do it with my family. And then when my family canceled, we said, hey, this is the weekend. You know, we're, we're going anyway. And so uh, we, here we are. 
and everything we had planned for the weekend we we kept in place and one of those things was this boat rental which leads me to my embarrassing story by the way in case you're wondering what my view looks like right now i'm actually going to take a picture of the podcast view that i have right now with the sunrise in the background and i will tweet and facebook that when i send out the link for this podcast so boat rental okay i'm not a captain I'm not a guy who knows a ton about boats. I know the very, very basics about boats. I've been in situations almost my entire life where if I am on a boat or if I'm in charge of a boat, let's say I'm driving a boat. I've driven boats many times in my life. Don't get me wrong. But I've been always been lucky enough to be in the situation where if I am driving a boat, uh, I'm usually with somebody who knows more than I do about the boat. So I've never been in a position where I'm the guy on the boat who knows the most about the boat. That that This is the first time it's ever happened. And I was nervous. And I wasn't letting on at all to anybody that that was the case. Like when we rented the boat, I didn't tell them that I was new and that I've never rented a boat, you know, that I've never been the guy in charge of a boat before. I just kind of acted like I knew what I was doing, you know, fake it till you make it. And then same thing with my wife. <laughs> my wife is like, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, totally. Uh, and, you know, the whole time I'm like kind of only knowing what I'm doing. And yesterday was fine. And in fact, I think the reason that what happened to me happened to me was because I started getting a little cocky because I started thinking that I was that I was really, you know, that I knew what I was doing here, that I was, that I got this. And so what happened was yesterday I pick up the boat and the first thing you got to do is you got to drive the boat home from the marina, right? So I, first couple minutes I'm driving the boat, I'm being real cautious, real nervous, and I'm just kind of learning what every button does. And it goes fine. It goes absolutely fine. I get all the way to the hotel. I dock by myself, by the way, which is a bitch. Docking by yourself is not easy, but I dock. I managed to dock by myself, and uh, I'm feeling okay. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I got this. Maybe I can do this. You know, I, I, I mean, how hard can it actually be? I go, I, I know what the problems could be for this boat. By the way, yeah, I fired it up again. I'm sorry. That I'm going to try and go all the way to the middle of the lake right now so that I don't have to keep firing it up because that's going to be distracting on the podcast. That should should do the trick. So then we go out. I, I take my wife and my kid out, and we drive around the entire lake, and again, it goes fine. Everything's fine. And we even get into a little bit of trouble at one point, and I fix the trouble, which is great. The trouble was that um, at one point, we decided to put the anchor down and go swimming, and I noticed that the rope for the anchor, uh, ha- there's like a secondary rope coming off the anchor, and it has it has tied itself up into the engine, and I'm like, oh god, and I and I'm like, oh god, so I jump in, I get the rope untangled, and all is good, right? I'm like, oh my god, not only did I dock by myself, but the first problem that occurred, I fixed by myself. I'm like, I am. You call me Captain Googs from here on out, because I got this, right? I got, it, and I start feeling like I got this. We get back to the hotel, we dock. It's great. Everything's going phenomenal. Uh, we go out for a third boat ride. This this one's a sunset cruise last night, and this is what the story's about. Everything's great. I pull out just fine. We go for a, a loop around the lake a few times. We chase the sunset. It's amazing. Everyone's having a great time. It's the greatest, greatest possible Saturday night in the world, right? And you know last night was beautiful weather. I mean, it was – and I, I know you know because I was looking at my 
podcast statistics, which I haven't done a bunch of, which I don't think I'm going to do a bunch of, a bunch of, because the one thing I miss about radio is the ignorance of the ratings. <laughs> Just assuming you have a million listeners, even though we know it wasn't true. Podcasts are brutally honest with how many listeners you have. Um, and, and I have 88, I think it's 88% of my listeners are from the Rochester area. So I know you experienced a beautiful night last night. By the way, these podcast statistics, ugh. Speaking of brutally honest, yeah, I've been doing pod, I've been doing radio 15 years, and the whole ratings thing has always been a little bit of smoke and mirrors, you know, whether they're good or they're bad, you know, and I've been part of plenty of good ratings periods, and I've been part of plenty of bad ratings periods. They're always just a little bit bullshit, you know, because this company, they do ratings, they give you a number, it's based on a, a, a sample of the total population, it's not even a scientific sample because the sample size isn't even big enough to represent the population but then what you do is you do a whole bunch of calculations you times it by this and you end up saying well we have x amount of listeners and at the end of the day it's bullshit you're just guessing you don't have that many listeners you don't know how many listeners you have that's the thing radio is so antique that they don't even know how many listeners they have podcasts it's like down to the down to the listen i know that you stopped listening 30 seconds ago in podcast statistics, which is tough. It's tough because the brutal honesty is, uh, well, it's tough to live with because here's the I've done 13, 14, I guess I've done 14 or 15 episodes now. This is probably episode number 14 officially, and then I've done a couple of like mini episodes. And uh, they have performed very differently from each other. I think, you know, everything from like a couple hundred listens to like a few thousand listens on each episode. And, uh, it's it's from what I can tell, mostly comes down to the guest or the subject matter. So uh, I certainly won't reveal which ones outperformed which ones because I don't want to do that to the guests that I've had on. But uh, yeah, it's because kind of crazy how brutally honest radio does have something that's a little bit more honest. It's called PPM, uh, personal people meter. I know every time I heard it, I was unable to not hear purple people leader. But yeah, personal people meter which is a little bit more accurate, but I don't know if it'll ever come to Rochester. Anyway, I digress. Beautiful night last night. And uh, I, we're, roll, we're we're it's sunset. We're coming back. Leo's starting to get tired, and we're pulling up to our hotel. We're staying at this beautiful hotel, the Chautauqua Harbor Hotel in uh, Celeron, New York, which is really close to Jamestown, New York. And it's on this, of course, gorgeous lake that I sit on right now, Chautauqua Lake. And uh, everything's great, and all the conversation so far between me and my wife has just been positive. It's been wonderful. And about a minute before we're going to dock, you know, and we're rolling in. And if you don't know the situation, when you're about to dock, you're coming up on your location where you're going to dock. There's usually buoys out, especially with a public place like a hotel, that basically tell you, hey, this is where you have to kill the engine. Or not necessarily kill the engine, but you got to bring it way down and you should be traveling at like one mile an hour for the final minute or so before you dock. And that's fine. Everybody obeys that rule. And um, or at least they should. And of course I'm obeying the rule that we get to the buoys. I basically kill it. Now I'm, I'm kind of just floating along. I'm going maybe, you know, two or three miles an hour heading to the dock. And Ryan brings up, well, when are we going to have our next child? And this is a big conversation. I mean, it's a huge conversation, right? And so it's, we're going to be, now this is, you know, family connection time. It's Saturday night. It's a beautiful it's a sunset. We're on a lake. She starts bringing this up. She's asking me when I'm ready, and I'm telling her, hey, you know, babe, I am, I'm ready. You know, I'm, I go, I can't imagine my life without Leo. 
And every second of my life that goes by right now without our second baby, I consider to be sad because it's a second that's going by that I don't know our next child yet. And, and, you know, and she, and I'll keep her, her decision private, but she, you know, she tells me her, what she thinks about when we should have another baby. And, you know, we're, we're 30 seconds or so into this decision or into this conversation where we're probably a total of maybe 30 seconds away from getting to the actual dock. And all of a sudden the boat, which is just doing a gentle, all of a sudden the boat goes, and, uh, and it's right, by the way, it's a hotel beautiful it's almost like a resort lake hotel there's people all over the pier we are 30 feet from the pier at this point we're so close to the dock and uh everyone is standing there ever i mean literally like everybody on the pier it catches their attention that this boat just went right in front of them and i'm in a complete and utter state of panic because remember i'm a scam artist to begin with i have no idea how to run this boat Right, this whole thing's just been luck so far. So I have no, I wouldn't, how am I going to fix it? I don't even have a beginning of an idea of how to fix this thing. So um, I start just pressing buttons. I'm messing with the trim. I pull the trim up because I have a little bit, right? So I don't want to give myself no credit. I've got a little bit of an idea. I, I, I think maybe something got caught in the propeller, right? I'm thinking, okay, there's probably seaweed. It's, it's obviously shallow here. We're closer to shore. There, there's probably seaweed that has gotten in my propeller. So I, I pull the trim all the way up. I look at the blade. It's it's fine. I'm like, what the? I put it back down. I glance at the pier. There's people starting to gather. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? So I put the blade back down in the water. I hit it again. It's just nothing. It's just, it, it, it sounds terrible. And I'm going, oh, my God, if it's the engine, I'm fucked. Like, a 0% chance I know how to fix an engine, okay? 0%. You know, my only hope, only hope is that uh, it's it, we're caught on something. There's like the, it's so shallow that the bottom of the boat's caught on. So it's my only hope. And I'm in, by the way, I should mention, it's Saturday night. We've just had dinner. Ryan's wearing a dress. I'm wearing you know shorts and like a button-up shirt leo is actually wearing the cutest little boaters outfit he's got like a pink collared shirt on and like blue um uh what would you call them like cargo shorts and it's just so freaking cute and um and i go god damn it i gotta jump out of the water and meanwhile again we're talking 30 50 people maybe every one of them just staring at our situation (laughs) on the pier so i jump out of the water and i jump out into the water i should say and i and i i you know i feel underneath the propeller and there's like some there's like yes once i've lowered it into the water the water here is actually so shallow it's probably two i would say it's two three feet it was maybe to my waist maybe at most to my waist and i'm and the water's very shallow and yeah we're in like I don't know, there's some sludge or some buildup or something here. And I'm going, what the F? So basically what happens, all I do is I physically, like, remove the sludge with my hand. By the way, my feet are on rocks or something. It feels like I'm walking on glass. It's just rocks underneath me. And uh, and basically what happens, I, I'm able to push the boat. I'm able to just, I move all the sludge, and I'm able to physically push the boat a few feet and get free of this one little trouble area, jump back on the boat, turn the engine on, and and finally dock while everyone's just kind of watching and uh uh 
I look down at my feet as I jump back on. Remember, I'm dressed nicely, and I've just had to jump in the water in front of 30 people on the pier. And I look down at my feet, and they're just covered in blood because I was on these rocks, right? And and at the time, the adrenaline was pumping, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm working. I'm doing what I got to do to get my boot lo- uh, boat loose. But thinking back on it, yeah, it was. I did feel like I was standing on these sharp objects. I don't even know what the hell I was on. So anyway, so I'm on these sharp objects, and I'm looking down at my feet, and it's just all blood. And my wife is just laughing her freaking ass off at me just laughing her ass off she's having a great time and you know some of the people on the pier are kind of in on it with her i think because she's laughing at me and she's kind of and she's concerned don't get me wrong she's got her kid on the boat but also she's absolutely aware of the fact that this is hilarious and it was just mortifying absolutely mortifying you know because i was i didn't i didn't even know from the beginning what i was doing here I am fixing a boat, put in a position where I got to fix a boat in front of 30 strangers. It's crazy. Oh, it's beautiful. I love the fresh air, the lake, the smell, the calmness too. You don't even hear water right now, do you? It's so calm out here. Things like ice, just a clear, 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 clear and, uh, and perfect lake right now. Um, I, I wrote down some notes to talk about a few current events. I said I don't have a guest. My guest, by the way, next guest will be uh, Fred Belts. He is the uh, historian of Oak Hill Country Club. I had the pleasure of golfing there a week or two ago on the East Course, which they just renovated. And uh, they took out a lot of trees and stuff, really just made it more panoramic. But Fred's going to come on because Oak Hill has a very rich history and an interesting history, too. But, you know, Oak Hill being the premier country club of Rochester, really the top of the top, it interests me how you gain that kind of status. You know, that's the type of thing I love hearing origin stories on. And, and Oak Hill to me is, you know, there's no person who represents Oak Hill. It's sort of like... It's a group, obviously, and so Fred, being the historian, I thought would be the right person to talk to. He's almost, you know, well, you know, I love talking to entrepreneurs, people who started businesses. Well, that's not really possible in the case of Oak Hill, so we'll talk to the historian and and learn more about that. I'm, I'm looking very forward to that. But I did write down a few current events and stuff. People also are constantly still writing me. Uh, three th- for three things. First of all, the first thing, which is terribly annoying, is people telling me constantly how much they miss me on CMF. Brother Weeze has legitimately been with iHeartRadio since, I think, 2009. I know I was with him since 2010. I'm pretty sure he was there a year before me. He's been there 11 years. People still refer to it as CMF. I probably have been told that I'm missed on CMF more than I've been told that I was missed on Radio 95.1. People say the most. They go, I miss you on Weeze. The second most is, I miss you on CMF. The third most is, I miss you on 95 or on Radio 95.1. Unbelievable. Anyway, people are constantly asking me, hey, how's how's the new job? And that's one question I get constantly. Well, give us an update on the podcast about the new gig. And then the other one is, um, you know, asking me my thoughts on things that are happening at iHeartRadio. And I try not to hover around that too, too much. I don't want to look like somebody who's, who's uh, you know, obsessed with the old workplace or anything. So I really try not to. I, I do have some comments because I was asking around, and to my knowledge... They have not yet announced a replacement for Kimberly and Beck, but I do hear that they're replaying either Brother Weeze or DeTulio and Moran in the afternoon drive, which tells me they're holding a spot to put a talk show there. So it's very, very likely that they're going to replace Kimberly and Beck as opposed to just run replays. So I think there's a search going on, or at least I would assume there's a search going on. 
for that. And and I saw, I thought, you know what, that that's okay. I'm a former radio guy. People ask my opinion all the time. I generally don't address it. But in this case, look, this is a legit question, and, and I'm wondering as well. I'm right with you, so I'll just give, I'll give my thoughts. And they might not be popular. That's the other thing, because I'm going to give you my actual thoughts on what I, I would do if I, I guess if I was in charge, if I had that talent roster, of course, it's not it's not all that easy without knowing the budget. Uh, but here's what I would do. I would say this. I think if you are iHeartRadio right now, uh, Rochester specifically, I think you have to address an unfortunate fact about the, the, the world you live in in 2020. Uh, and it is not, not, I'm not talking about coronavirus or anything like that. I'm talking about just specifically where radio, where media is at in 2020. I think you have to realize you might not quite have the, the depth chart, the talent depth chart to staff full long stations full of unique content all day, every day. What happens when you stretch things is you suffer with quality. I have always... Always, and when I say always, I've been in business for six years, so it's not like I'm a longtime expert, but I have found tremendous success in just always putting the product first. If the product, if you're throwing everything you have at the product, and the product is as close to perfect as you can possibly make it, the rest will take care of itself. Now, it's an oversimplification. When I say the rest will take care of itself, yes, there's work to do elsewhere other than just uh you know doing doing uh, putting the great product on there's work to be done in other areas of the business of course but for the most part the product is the absolute most important thing you have to nail the product and the other parts will come together more easily we'll put it that way and with iheart i think the number one thing you have to do at this point if you if i'm the boss there and i and the, i have this talent rosters i have to look at this and i have to say look i don't have enough here to stretch full days on my two money sticks my wham 1180 and my radio 95.1 those are my money sticks those are the radio stations that are are going to make me my most money that's where my bread and butter is and i probably can't staff them 24 7 with talent so i'm gonna consolidate a little uh i'm gonna here's a controversial one i think if you take the brother Wee's show and the DeTulio and Moran show, and you combine them that you have the best radio show in Rochester. That's, I, I know, it's a little controversial, but let me explain. You've got it all covered when you do that. You've got Brother Wees, right? You've got the legend. You've got the guy whose opinion people want to hear. You got him kind of at the center, but here's the kicker. He doesn't host the show. You take that responsibility off of Brother Wees. He's the star of the show, but not the host of the show. This is something that I hear as I try to listen to radio as often as I can these days. I hear WCMF do with Tommy Muley. He's not the host of the show, but he is the star of the show. And you got to accomplish that with Brother Wheeze in order, I think, to, to have the best radio show in Rochester right now in the morning on Radio 95.1. So you would take Brother Wheeze and you would put him... You'd put him as the star of the show, but again, not the host of the show. So who's the host of the show? The hosts of the show are Bill Moran and Deanna King. Now, uh, why? Why two hosts of the show? Well, they're bouncing back and forth the topics. The two of them are going to do all the prep. They're basically, when I say they're the hosts, they're the host 
slash executive producers of the show. And when I say that, what I mean is they're responsible for coming up with all content. They're responsible for the game plan. They're going to decide what's happening on today's show. Those two will work together to make that decision. Now, uh, the two of them, picture this, every, every segment starts with one of the two of them setting up what we're about to talk about, okay? It frees the other one up to be ready to pick up where the first one left off. So let's say Deanna King comes on the air and she's got her the next topic we're going to talk about. And she's got the topic is A and then her bullet points, the, 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 the points she wants to make are B, C, and D. And her basic strategy is to bring up A, explain what A is, throw it to Weeze, and as Weeze talks and as Weeze gives his opinion, she is to cycle in points B, C, and D about A. Meanwhile, Bill Moran, not that he's not part of that conversation at all, if he has something he feels strongly about regarding that conversation, he jumps right on in. That being said, he's also listening to the conversation and making a sort of a judgment call on when is it time to move to conversation E because he has prepared conversation E and he has points F, G, and H to make about it. And so once B, C, and D have been made, Bill Moran jumps in to bring up E, kick it to Wheeze, and say F, G, and H, right? Now, you're probably listening to me say this and you're going to go, okay, Paul, all right, okay, okay, Paul, okay. What about John DeTulio? What about Dale Buddha? Well, let me start with Dale. That's the easiest explanation. Dale is an excellent producer. He's a fantastic employee. Uh, I would love to have a guy like Dale on my team. You keep him around, obviously, but now he's more of a producer's producer. Not, not He doesn't have to have the role of doing everything now. When you have Bill and Deanna, kind of freeze, freeze Dale up to only have to worry about the actual production part of being a producer. Bill and Deanna do the the um, the creative part of being a producer. Dale can then rely on, or Dale can then be relied on doing the producing part of being a producer. It's being a radio producer is different than what you see on like in movies and TV and stuff. A radio producer splits into a couple jobs. You have the creative side, and then you get the actual production side, and they're they're really two jobs in in many cases can be. So what about John DeTulio? Well. You know, as I sit here, I go, well, I think John DeTulio is a monster talent. I think he has one of those things that is intangible, is that he is uh, he's so likable. People just love him. You don't run into a lot of people who don't love John DeTulio, right? He's so likable. I love John DeTulio. So you got a couple options. You either you keep him part of the show, and which was my original idea, because as I said, you combine the Brother Wee show and the DeTulio Moran show. You make that combination you keep him part of the show and he's sort of the flair, right? You got Weeze reacting to everything and you got DeTulio also reacting to everything. Or or you take Johnny and you give him back his solo sports talk show because he was so goddamn good at it. There is a market for local sports. Granted, coronavirus might have killed that, but, you know, in general, in regular times, there's a market for a sports talk show. There's only one local sports talk show in town right now and it's on a weak stick and uh, and and not that John DeTulio's wouldn't be on a weak stick, but maybe you throw a sports talk show in there. Now, I actually like plan number one. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna concentrate on my one show because, as I mentioned before, the whole point here is to have an impeccable product. And if you combine DeTulio Moran and Brother Weeze, you have an impeccable morning show product. I'll take that. 
and I'm going to run with it from 6 a.m. until noon every day. Yes, six hours. You have four people, five people working on that show. You can go six hours. Uh, that's one of the crazy, one of the antiquated things about radio is this idea that you would do, you know, four hour shifts. <laughs> four hour shift. Who wouldn't kill for a four hour shift in the real world, right? They do four hour shifts for some reason in radio. It goes way beyond my time in radio. But for some reason, morning drive is deemed to be six to ten. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think with that many people working on that many different aspects of the show, 6 to 12 is not a hard thing to ask. So you're at 12 now. What do you do? Well, from 12 to 3, I think you get Bob Lonsberry on to do a midday show. Now, look, this doesn't have anything to do with politics. I'm not trying to talk about, hey, Bob's politics are great or anything by that. It's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. Just trying to say you have to fill out a product. We're going to fill out a product by putting Bob Lonsberry noon to three. Now you've got this impeccable product from six to 12, and you've got Bob Lonsberry 12 to three. You've got another big name local personality concentrated on just Rochester from 12 to three. So far, we're 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., with a uh, what I think is a good lineup uh, on paper. Despite personal opinion, do I love Bob Lonsberry's show myself? I don't. I'm not going to lie. That being said, can't deny he's got a big audience. He's a monster talent. He'll bring listeners. Okay, so you put him on from noon to three. Now, Paul, what do you do from three to seven? You used your whole damn roster from, from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. What are you going to do from three to seven? Here's what I'm going to do. There's this show called Rover's Morning Glory. Excuse me. Out of Cleveland, Ohio. Huge show in Cleveland. Here it's gaining popularity in Rochester. Cleveland, it's a huge, huge deal. In Rochester, I don't want to say it's gaining popularity. I should be more fair to it. It's 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 got a, a, a following. It's just it just needs to be sort of associated with more uh it just needs to be associated, I think, with a more um, it needs to be associated with names like Brother Wees and Bob Lonsberry to get kind of elevated to the next level, introduced to the mainstream of Rochester. So I don't know, but I would assume, I would think that uh, Rover, being an iHeartRadio employee, that iHeart Rochester would probably have the ability to make a play for Rover. To, to put in place what they would, whatever they would need to do in order to get Rover... On, on our team because Rover is currently on I think it's Stevens Media right the zone I think that's who owns that and he has no affiliation whatsoever with Stevens Media iHeart needs to assert whatever control iHeart can assert over the fact that they actually own this guy and they, they need to get him on iHeart and by putting him on in the afternoon you take his listeners in the morning and you abandon them which is a good thing because you attract his listeners, which is a young listening audience. Rover is doing very well with younger people, and that is maybe the one weakness of the Wheezes and the Detulio Morans and the sort of the Radio 95-1 lineup as is, is it's skewing quite a bit older at this point. Uh, the money demo being a 25 to 54-year-old demo, and I think that the Radio 95-1 lineup the way it is right now is skewing very much so closer to the 54 than it is the 25. Rover, on the other hand, skews a little more to the 25, 35-year-old. So you take Rover, you put him in the afternoon, you abandon his audience over on the zone, and you hope that by abandoning them, you can pick them up over on Radio 95-1. You're, you're making them look for a new home. And yeah, there's risk associated with that. What if they don't find you on 95.1? They may not, but they're going to look for Rover. 
because they're going to miss Rover, and they're going to find out Rover went to 95.1, and once they come over to 95.1 for their Rover in the afternoon, they may get acclimated with what else that radio station has to offer. Now you've taken that whole audience and you bring them over. And really this all hinges on, because I can hear you saying, ah, Polly, that's a stretch. I'm sure the zone has some sort of contract with Rover. Sure they do. Sure they do. But iHeartRadio owns Rover. He's owned by iHeartRadio, and 95.1 is iHeartRadio. So you don't tell me for one second that iHeart wouldn't be able to at least put the plan in place to get Rover over to 95.1. So that's what I would do on 95.1, and I think that's a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. plan or 7 p.m. plan. And then I think it's very simple from 7 p.m. until 6 a.m. You just replay everything you did all day. You know, just right in order right there with less commercials. I know you have one less hour. Basically, you did 13 hours of live programming, 11 hours of recorded programming, but a lot less commercials overnight. So you're probably going to get 11 hours. You'll probably be able to get all 13 hours worth of content replayed between 7 p.m. and 6 a.m. is what I'm trying to say. Um, That's what I would do on 95.1. Over on Wham, a little bit of a different story. uh, I'm not going to lie don't know enough about it even though I worked there forever to be able to kind of like put it together in my head I think they've got you know Rush Limbaugh is that anchor in the middle of the day is probably the right thing to do on Wham I think you keep Lonsberry from 8 a.m. until noon um, and because he doesn't have to be on 95.1 in my plan remember until noon and you might say well now you got Lonsberry doing two shifts Lonsberry already does two shifts he does a Rochester shift in the morning and a, an afternoon shift in Syracuse Uh, I think he would actually welcome working straight through as opposed to having this split shift. Because as is right now, I don't know when that man gets home. He might actually just love and welcome the idea that he's out of the building at 3 o'clock every day. So I think you keep the the Wham! news wheel in the morning from 5 to 8. That's phenomenal, by the way. If you wake up and you're interested in local news, 15 minutes, you learn everything you need to learn on Wham! 1180 right now. It's a phenomenal news wheel that they, they do right now. So you take that, 5 to 8, 8 to 12, still Bob, 12 to 3, still Rush. I wouldn't change any of that. The um, the afternoon news hour, I think you, you completely change that. I think there's there's this thing they do from 5 to 6 right now with Jolo, which is just a, a fa- fantastic hour of afternoon drive radio, very much so like the news wheel they do in the morning. I think you simply take that and expand that to run from 3 to 6 p.m. Uh, it, it, that's, yeah, 3 to 6 p.m., the news wheel is back for your afternoon drive basically and then it's and maybe even you go till seven with that i don't know whatever you think the afternoon drive lasts until and then at seven o'clock you either go to network programming or you do the same thing we said before you start doing replay now that's tougher on wham because on wham you've got uh such timely material and it's being reported in a news format so i don't know that you can do replay but i think you can take lonsberry and rush and you can probably go replay. I think you need to concentrate. I, I would listen. I would love to program you a twenty-four hour live station that has twenty-four hour programming. It's just not realistic in twenty twenty. It's just not going to happen. So instead, what you got to do is you got to basically program yourself twelve hours and then be okay with replaying the rest of it. But that's that's it. That's what I would do with those two stations. And you might say, well, Paulie, wait a minute. You only talked about two stations. That 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 cluster of radio stations has like seven stations. Well, yeah, I mean that's also part of my plan. So the stations you got Wham and Radio ninety five one. Those obviously I keep. Uh, I would sell WKGS. I would sell WNBL. Uh, 
That's the the I think right now it's called the Bull. That's called Kiss. Get rid of those stations. Just put the money in your pocket. And you're not going to get a lot for them, but whatever you can get for them, get. Um, take that WVOR, that Canandaigua station. Turn that into your not profit chapter. You, you know now you'll have a non for profit arm. Um, from a programming standpoint, it works. You're constantly being asked to do work for not for profits. In this case, you would have a place to do all that work for the not for profits, but also. Uh, you would have a place to kind of put all of the, the the programming that you're being asked to do for the not-for-profits over there on VOR. And also, uh, you pick a couple of causes and you support them hardcore, and you have a whole leg there. You put a person on that station, and you uh, you you kind of create a little a bit of an XXI thing. A finger you embrace the Finger Lakes. You have an XXI vibe going on. You do hyper local programming. It can be a little bit more in the interest of the community, community-oriented. Again, we're talking about a not-for-profit here, so entertainment value, while it's still important, isn't quite what it is with the Radio 95.1 and the Wham! crew. You're less worried about ratings here. You're more worried about public relations, and you're more worried about doing good in the community and how that's going to help your image overall. And I think that that's, that's probably what you do with that. Um, in my opinion, at least. And then at the end of the day, I would say the other thing is you just downsize your physical location. At this point, iHeart has three stories. No, two, excuse me, two stories in downtown Rochester uh, in the uh, five-star bank building, and they just, don't, they just don't need that much space. Get rid of a, I don't know what the details are on the lease and what they're paying for rent, et cetera. But at this point, I'm looking at that, and I'm going, geez, you know, you don't need both those floors. One floor, and that might actually be a huge thing that the uh, coronavirus did for iHeart and many other companies. They may have just taught them that it's okay to downsize. Uh, people who are always asking me about how the new business is going—it's going great. We're going to rebrand. The business is called Permac. We're going to rebrand probably sometime in September. New name, new logo, uh, and you'll start to see a lot more social media content out of me at that point for for it. Uh, obviously, I got a lot of work to do from a business standpoint first. So we'll get to that. Um, you know, food safety is my new world, <laughs> learning things about food safety. It's not the sexiest topic for a podcast, so I'll spare you the details. But uh, helping bring Rochester products to life is a big part of what we, we do out there. And I'm so proud. To, I, I wish there's some I can't announce. There's some confidentiality uh, involved in who we work with there are some things we can talk about some things we can't talk about uh one of the things i can talk about is tony d's jay speranza who i've told you for years is the best chef in rochester but uh but tony d's is actually going to be doing a pasta sauce and a vodka sauce with us and we've already made them we're just waiting on the labels to come in at this point so that's going to be a big hit when you see those give those a shot in fact uh the night we the day we made them i brought the vodka sauce home for my wife to try because it was so good and she tried the vodka sauce she looked up at me and she just goes, you're fucked. <laughs> I said, hey, you know, if somebody's going to come out with a better sauce than mine, at least let me have a piece of the action, you know? At least let me own the factory where it's made, right? <laughs> a few, uh, a few local, uh, a few, not local, but a few current news items that I wanted to hit on. A couple of these, they'll, they'll be quick. Basically, I woke up yesterday morning to hashtag MedBikini. Oh, this was a win-win for everybody. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. I, I finally got the backstory was that some physicians, basically some male physicians came out with this theory that it's not a good idea 
for younger and specifically for female younger physicians to live their lives on social media. So they they shouldn't be appearing with a drink in hand and they shouldn't be appearing uh, in a bikini specifically. So the, the female doctors of the world decided they were going to fight back against this oppression by posting pictures of themselves in bikinis, which I love because these asshole male physicians who don't think their colleagues should be normal people are getting served. At the same time, we've got all these gorgeous, intelligent women posting pictures of themselves in bikini on social media, and I've got no complaints about that. Like I said, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Dave Portnoy interviewing Donald Trump. (laughs) Portnoy, the, the founder of Barstool Sports, who I will admit I have some respect for because... This dude is completely unedited and uncensored. I think Dave Portnoy is like a hell of a a study for public relations. I tell Ryan this all the time. Anytime her public relations um, uh, department at Dixon Schwabel is like looking for something to talk about, I always tell her, I'm like, you guys got to talk about Dave Portnoy. This guy breaks every rule as to what you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur with his business in terms of just being completely unedited, completely savage, just way over the top, at times cruel, mean, vulgar on social media. But he nails it. He's got this company. He's worth hundreds. I think he's worth, definitely he's worth, is it uh, nine figures, right? He's a nine-figure guy. He's sold stakes in Barstool Sports twice. He's built a thing, whether you like it or not, it's got this following, cult-like following. Um, Of course, he's got a frat boy following, which is what he gets made fun of for. All his followers tend to be like 33-year-old white guys from suburbia. Uh, But that being said, he built himself a a little cult-like following, and there's got to be some respect for that. Anyway, he got to interview Donald Trump. Who saw that coming? And by the way, it was a terrible interview. It was a terrible interview. But that being said, if I interviewed Donald Trump, it would be a terrible interview. I'd be nervous. Super nervous. Uh, Regis Philbin has passed away. Regis, I was reading about him this morning. I didn't realize Regis, his big break came on the Joey Bishop show, but I didn't realize before that, and no, I'm not going to pretend I'm familiar with the Joey Bishop show. It's way before my time. But before that, he was actually a page at The Tonight Show. Uh, it was a sidekick on the Joey Bishop show. Obviously, everyone, I think, in my generation knows him from Regis and, and uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. That came out in 1985. And I think, you know, he took that show, put it on the map, created careers for people. I mean, look at Kelly Ripa. Kelly Ripa, who I like. I think Kelly's great. But Kelly Ripa, you know, got, got brought in under Regis's arm. And, and Regis totally called that. Because Kelly Ripa, I think, when she first came out and when she was first on live with Regis and and, and Kelly was not overly liked. I think a lot of people were like, who is this young, blonde, peppy chick who thinks she can go toe-to-toe with Regis? But Kelly played it exactly correctly. You know, she didn't quote-unquote go toe-to-toe with Regis. Kelly came in and, and she was exactly who she should have been. But Regis doesn't give enough credit for getting her over with the audience. Without Regis's blessing, without Regis's endorsement, the audience would have eaten up Kelly immediately. and They would have eaten her up and chewed her up and spit her out. 
she wouldn't have had a chance. But Regis told us she was okay. And that show exists to this day because of what Regis, A, created, and then B, when it was time for Regis to move on, what he created to exist in his absence. And they say greatness is achieved by people who create things that they won't be around to enjoy. Right? There's some saying that's something along those lines. That's how you know somebody has done something great. When they create something that they're not going to live to enjoy. That's greatness. And that's Regis. He did that with that show. That show will last forever at this point. And Regis was the creator of that. And and I thought that was good. And the final thing I wanted to talk about was baseball coming back with um, without fans. It's weird, isn't it? With the pumped-in crowd noise, you almost forget. I will admit, you almost forget for a couple of minutes that it is pumped-in crowd noise. You almost embrace it for a little while, because at the very beginning, with the pumped-in crowd noise, you turn it on, you forget it's pumped in. The cardboard cutouts are a little corny, but they've managed to make that cute over the course of the weekend, showing highlights of cardboard cutouts getting like decapitated by home runs and stuff. But there was one controversy, and it's just, I'm going to sound like such a homer here, but Mike Clevenger, last night the Indians lost to the Royals, and it had a lot to do with the fact that now in uh, uh, extra innings you get an extra runner who starts at second. So the Indians lost as the Royals in the top of the 10th inning. Didn't even have an official at-bat, I think, right? And they still won. They still scored. Because they had because sacrifices don't count as official at bats, walks don't count as official at bats. Um, so they had like two sacrifices, or and I don't forget, oh oh I know what it was, two sacrifices, a walk. So the two fat sacrifices that scored the run. The guy on second got scored after a sacrifice button, a sacrifice fly. So now the Royals are up by a run. That's two outs, no official at bats. Third guy comes up and walks, still not an official at-bat. He gets thrown out, stealing second. That's three outs, no official at-bats, yet the Royals still scored a run. Okay? Yeah, that's strange. Stranger things have happened. Obviously, it was helped out quite a bit by the fact that they got to start with a guy on second. But it's still strange. Mike Clevenger, after the game, pitcher for the Indians, says, this is bullshit. You know, what is what's go- this is stupid. <laughs> and I agree with him. Here's the problem. You just can't say it after you just lost a game. You lose a game, now you just look like you're whining. So Clev looks like he's whining, and he is whining. That being said, he's not wrong. What, I mean, how does the runner at second base thing help us through a pandemic? I don't understand. I get it. This season's different. It's cut short. The travel, et cetera, et cetera, it all has to do with the pandemic. But how does the runner at second? I mean, you, you've been in the stadium. It's a nine-inning game. You've been there for three hours. Why is it going to help a pandemic to to now, you, now you're in a hurry? Like baseball. Like leave it to baseball. Like we'll, we'll do three hours in no real hurry. But once we get to that third hour, now we're in a hurry. Like leave it to baseball to think that that's the time that people want you to be in a hurry. Put a guy on second base every inning. Come on. Anyway, that's all. I guess that's all. I think that's the whole podcast. I think that's it. I appreciate you listening. Thank you for being here. Next week, again, Fred Belts, Oak Hill historian. In the meantime, thanks. Have a great week.